thankfully for you, especially if you're listening to the show. My gosh, we're like extra thankful, really, like double thankful. I for picture you. a lot of people sitting around the, you know, the the living room right oh, now. Yes. The uh, radio's on in the center of the room. They're telling stories about the one time they met the famed Mickey Ryan. The turkeys oh, in the what oven. A disappointment that was for those people. <laughs> <laughs> Our Thanksgiving what tradition, is- Lane and Mickey. What a terrible day. That's the voice of Alex Apple. He's filling in for the hitman. Uh, somebody asked me, I was at the grocery store or something. They were like, this Alex guy that fills in with you, how did that start? I said, I have no idea. They said, would you have good chemistry? But I said, I have no idea. We never worked with each other. I used to do some freelance stuff at Fox. You worked at Fox, but it wasn't at the same time. And, and you brought this up in the break. There was a particular news story, and we kept having you on, like, because you were a news reporter there was at Fox. A cu- there was a couple of them. One yeah. was like the financing of the soccer stadium yes. and what a cluster that was. Um, Although that sucker's about ready. By the way, I think the other was just COVID-related stuff. Maybe, and whether yes. they were going to have fans at the Titans games and stuff like that. Lucas Panzica. I mean, we're talking about playoffs and the can the Preds make it and what are the Titans? Hey, man, somebody's winning postseason games in this town. Let's were go. you there last night? I was, yeah. Let's was get our Nashville SC report from Lucas Panzica. By the way, the goal by Mukhtar, the, the, Mukhtar that tied the game in the beginning Oh my lord! What a laser that was off the foot of that man. He's a he's an MVP candidate, a real MVP yeah. candidate. I mean, this team has a finalist for goalkeeper of the year, which has already been given. He did not win, but he finished in the top three. Joe Willis did. A finalist oh, for man. MLS Defender of the Year, which Walker Zimmerman is looking to go back to back. He won it last year, yeah. and a finalist for the MVP. If that performance from last night carries into Philadelphia and moving forward, this team's contending for an MLS Cup uh, championship. All this time, we've been playing in these parades. And I don't know the MLS well enough. Is an expansion team doing that unprecedented, kind of like the Golden Knights were in the NHL? Absolutely. I mean, Atlanta United did it a couple years into their existence. Yeah. Uh, they had a, an incredible base of resources to get them started and, and picked up, spent some big money on some star players. Nashville hasn't really done that. Nashville is kind of built from the ground up, so to speak, more of a foundational way to, to create to, – you know, manufacture a successful team. But what they've done the first two years in MLS, you could argue is is the best in MLS history when it comes to expansion franchises because it's sustainable the way that they're building this thing. And they had a fantastic run last year. It was unbelievable. Eastern Conference semifinal last year where they lost to the eventual champion Columbus in extra time. And so now they're in that same spot last year in the Eastern Conference semifinals. They're on the road in Philly Sunday, and you mentioned the financing of the soccer stadium. They announced on Monday that thing's going to open up May 1st, a month ahead of schedule in 2022. We we should all be in the street celebrating. Most stadiums are a terrible investment and time (laughs) commitment to get built, and this thing is actually ahead of schedule. It looks good, too. I got a chance to tour it this past summer. Uh, Everything's really intimate, right? Everything's right on top of the field, 30,000 people. Uh, really a perfect size for the amount of people that are going to be able to sell that out, you know, game in and game out. It was a great environment in Nissan yesterday. I just picture what that will be like, sort of more packed in, right, like it is in Bridgestone more with 20,000, right. What was the crowd uh, last night? They called, They said over 26. Okay. Over 26. So, like you said, in, in that stadium that they're building, that would be a, a zoo. Uh, 26,000. Especially if they keep winning. And it was freezing, too. I was proud of the 26 that oh, came no, out. Was, I, trust me. I, I, it, yeah. It, you know what I love is the smoke that gets let off after a goal, <laughs> right? Can we bring that? I mean, if the Titans just put, like, three of the – I mean, they're huge canisters, right? But somebody somebody actually pulls 
Somebody breaks the top off and sets it off, right? I guess can you, so. Can, yeah. can, can I, if I up and bring one of those blue smoke the next Canister Titans game, smoke. am I going to get thrown out of the? I mean, that looks awesome. That's pretty routine in Europe. You can bring flares into a stadium. Yeah, I don't think that. <laughs> I, I, something tells me you don't clear the metal detector. <laughs> yeah, that. I don't know about here. I, I, maybe it's just wink, wink. Somebody's going to get in with a couple of those at a soccer game. But uh, I actually wrote on my note. Let Lucas brag on Nashville SC because <laughs> I wanted to make sure we talked about that. We our show's quick; it's a couple of hours. We 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 play the hits. We do a lot of football and a lot of football talk. But you can't ignore what those guys are doing. And you know the Preds have had the fantastic run in 2017. Where honestly, if they hadn't been so injured, and if the refs, I don't want to get into that. I still say Ryan Johansson had won the Stanley Cup final. I played. believe that too. And yeah. and Kevin Fiala, who broke his what femur, yep. he broke the bone that you only break in car accidents. <laughs> they were playing seriously. Look it up. I I, I have friends who are doctors. Yeah, it's really bad. It's amazing. He's still you know playing at a high play. level. And those human beings were walking around after the compartment syndrome for Johansson, and like they got off the plane and both walked off the plane with a broken femur, and and his leg could have been removed. Those people are not human. So 2017, we thought maybe it's the parade year. The Titans, '99, uh, that surprised everybody. 2000, 2008. Heck, they played for an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. You watch the soccer ball be bouncing down Broadway in a parade with these guys before anybody else. I mean, they are, like you said, Lucas, they are building something amazing and so quickly, but you use the S word, sustainable. Yeah. You know, they've built something quickly that they can sustain. It's pretty amazing. Whether or not you're a soccer fan, you just have to appreciate what the individuals in that building and the players that they picked how quickly they've come together to do what they're doing. Gary Smith, their manager, won MLS Cup with Colorado back in 2010, I believe. So he, he's got that experience, and he's been here since the beginning. He was coaching that team when they were playing in the Sounds Ballpark in USL a couple of years ago. <laughs> oh, I so, remember. Look, 4.30, you know, a couple hour and a half after the Titans wrap up in New England, you know, for a, a trip to the conference finals on the line in the Where Eastern is that Conference. Game? They're in Philadelphia, Philadelphia Union at well, 4.30 Sunday. Be, uh, their season goes on forever. It, oh, yeah. It, it's it, like... It's like the NASCAR season. It basically it, mirrors it. Basi- it. Yeah, it basically seems March like it goes whole year. through November, essentially, yeah. Think about that. Just how mentally taxing, physically taxing. And then you got international breaks in between, right? Well, a guy like Walker Zimmerman has basically become a fixture in the U.S. national team, so he's having to go over and play Mexico and El Salvador when everybody else gets a, a week and a half off during an international break, and he has to come back to play playoff soccer. Well, shout out to those guys. We'd be remiss, and I would be remiss, uh, running point guard here to not mention what they are doing and to congratulate them. And if you're a fan of them, hey, man, shout out. Just uh, enjoy the ride. Keep enjoying it. This from Jim Wyatt a couple of minutes ago while we were doing our Let Lucas Brag on Nashville SC in parentheses segment. Uh, Jim Wyatt not spotted in practice today. A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown. Ryan Tannehill. No, no. Okay, that's good because there's a COVID thing. Okay, right? I, I, you were making a face like you were about to. No, Lo- Logan my puppy. Logan Woodside is on the COVID list. We we teased that. Logan Woodside, the backup quarterback, added to the COVID list. He's the second Titans player this week to go on it, along with uh, linebacker Joe Jones, already on it. So the Titans have one other quarterback besides Ryan Tannehill. It's Kevin Hogan of the Hogan family. There's a what '90s TV reference. Uh, he is on the practice squad. Here's who wasn't spotted, so this is good news for Ryan Tannehill. He did a media availability, so that was that was good news for now. I'm going to knock on wood. A.J. Brown not not seen in an open portion of practice. Nate Davis, again, 
not seen in the open Man. portion of practice. Jeremy McNichols, which Dontrell Hilliard kind of gives you a little relief. Yeah, maybe there. you say okay on that one. Okay. Rashawn Evans, <sighs> David Long, <sighs> Harold Landry, oh. Tier Tart, oh. and Ola Daney. Who's so, so now we need to do the same thing we did yesterday with the receivers to figure out who's going to play defensive line. <laughs> We're going to have to figure out a lot of things. Oh, John Lord. Simon might be playing his former team on Sunday. That's oh, right. John Simon is going to be – John Simon's about to get 50 reps on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. They're telling him to get hydrated. Get your fill of Naquan Jones. Hey, too. man, get, we're going to have an oxygen tank handy. Drink all the Gatorade you can squeeze into your body between now and then, John Simon. But uh, so – What is – remind me, and if this just escaped me, maybe you know, Lucas, what is David Long's injury? It was a hamstring, right? But he's not been put on the IR, which tells you that I would have thought he this this is a week that he would be back. I mean, maybe the they Rams give him Wednesday game. off. I can tell you it is. Otherwise, hamstring. just put him on IR. So Nate Davis was concussion. I'm looking at some reports from last week. Nate Davis was concussion. Chris Jackson was foot. He missed the game. He's on IR. Uh, David Long, hamstring. Jeremy McNichols was concussion. Rashawn Evans, ankle. Harold Landry, hamstring. Those were Tier Tart was uh, a groin. Blaine is our groin expert. No one knows groins like Blaine, but he's not here to break down tier. <laughs> Can we call him and get him on the line real quick? I mean, if if David Long doesn't play this week, then he should have been on IR. You could have at least gotten a roster spot out of that. This would be the third game that he's missed. So it would stand to reason that he would be a guy that you'd expect back this week. And the same would be said for Rashawn Evans. He missed the last two weeks. I mean, that makes – if you don't get put on – because the IR is so short-term now, it's three weeks. Three if you weeks. don't get put on it, that means that they think you're going to miss one or two games, uh, that's not what it three. Means. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's just a Wednesday report. we got a couple more days of practice. You know, you don't lose your head over it, but uh, you'd like to see those What's guys. What's the, the old song, wishing and hoping and praying? <laughs> I mean, that, that's basically what they're doing at this point just yeah. for healthy bodies. Yeah. Um. So Jim, I, I'm sure there's a couple times, and that's a great point because Alex is right. You can go on IR for just three weeks, like with Julio, with Bud Dupree. We're going to put you on IR, and I think with both of theirs, it would coincide with the bye week, so that gives both right. of them an extra week the way it worked out. Um, for Julio, it was three weeks and the bye week when he was put on. Maybe not for Bud. He was a week right. later. Right, Bud Dupree would be back. You're right because Bud Dupree was a week later, so Julio gets three in the bye. Three and a bye. Um, so I think at some point it's like, Let's just do everything we can maybe to get David back in two weeks. Let's just do everything we can because he, so you can, but it's you can just even, such a skeleton crew. Right you can now. either get them back or you don't, they don't play this week, and then the, you've given them a full month. It'd yeah. be the same as Julio. So uh, that's Which the calculus going on right now. Yeah, but that's a reason for optimism. Or you Think just say you, you can, can play back. this week, and then you got two weeks off again. There you go. Here's the good news. Jack Rabbit and Jeff Swain return. That's right, baby. So there lining. you go, kids. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Silver lining. When we come back, Blake Topmeyer, this is a huge week, a huge weekend for college football. We'll discuss it all with Blake Topmeyer next. Blaine and Mickey's special guest, Alex Apple, sitting in right here on Thanksgiving Turkey Eve. Blaine and Mickey, 105 The Zone. By the way, Lucas, you can go ahead and stop this music. I'm anti-Van Hagar. Thanksgiving is going perfectly. It's a Cut beautiful Wednesday off. outside. <laughs> just go ahead and go ahead and, and just throw this out. Okay, right. I had Mickey a Greta Van Fleet song lined up. And I liked him. It, I, I, I agree. It, audio crapped out on us, so I had to throw this in last second.
Blake Topmeyer, I'm sorry we're bringing you in with Van Hagar. I hope this hasn't just cast a pall over the entire segment here. You know, usually it's it's 90s rock that introduces my segments on the various radio hits I, I do. I don't know what the theory is behind that, but I, I usually like it. It's usually good stuff. That was uh, quite a change of pace, though, here. Yes, and a bad one. I, I'm just anti-Van Hagar. We don't have enough time for me to go into all the reasons for that, but it is Wednesday before Thanksgiving. This is, and Blake, uh, at BtopMeyer on Twitter, SEC uh, coverage for USA Today. Let me ask you this. Is this the best week of college football? And I know that's like saying, is this the best slice of pizza in this pie? Is this, you know, the best day of your vacation at the beach? But I'll ask you, in such a great sport, is this the greatest week of all? I think so, yeah. And, and you know, for as much grumbling as, as we do every year about the weekend before Thanksgiving, uh, being such a bad slate within the SEC in particular, there, there's really hardly any compelling games that weekend before Thanksgiving. You know, it's really just, it's like, okay, recharge the batteries because you know what's coming around the corner. Rivalry week's coming. Um, and, and if we can, you know, if we can look into the future a little bit, once Texas and Oklahoma come into the league here in a few years, rivalry week, you know, it, it sets up to be even better. I don't know what they're going to do. Are they going to have Texas and Oklahoma do the Red River shootout this week? Or, or do you have Texas, Texas A&M uh, on this Thanksgiving week? Either way you do it, it only stands to get better, uh, at least in terms of the SEC standpoint, this uh, this better rivalry game. And, Blake, you mentioned it. It's kind of a cupcake week is what a lot of people jokingly would call it. But of all things, cupcake week, there just happened to have been Missouri and Florida scheduled. And Eli Drinkwitz literally took out his lightsaber and decapitated Dan Mullen in front of the whole world with a well-called two-point play. I mean, that on Cupcake Week was some fantastic drama. Blake, you guys got me? Yes, sir. We lost you just a second there. Okay. Yeah, Missouri-Florida game was a sneaky good one last weekend and, and I mean Dan Mullen just went out with a whimper for a guy who's who's built his career being offensive minded um, you know, the ball back with a little over a minute to go next game. You know, they had a chance to travel about thirty five, forty yards, get a shot at a game winning field goal and Florida had no interest in it. You know, Dan Mullen had no interest in it. He just ran three conservative running plays into the line of scrimmage it takes it to overtime, and he really created a scenario where Florida's defense was on the field with a chance to win the game, and that's just that's not what you would expect Dan Mullen to do. You would expect an offensive-minded coach like that to give his offense a chance to win the game, uh, but because of some of the conservative calls he made throughout the course of the game, you know he left his his tenure hanging in the balance of, of Florida's defense. Uh, which if you watch Florida in recent weeks, that's that's not really where you want it to be. So, you know, when I look at Dan Mullen's tenure, it's sort of hard to evaluate because, you know, for three years it was going really well. Yeah. Three straight New Year's Six bids, and then, of course, it, it ends in poor fashion. And I just think that's college football in 2021. Like in the old days, I think you could really evaluate a coach's tenure and say, well, this was a good coaching tenure or this was a bad coaching tenure. For Dan Mullen – I mean, I think it was a good coaching tenure that ultimately went bad. I mean, you, you remember the good times and, and move on, I guess, if you're a Florida fan. And I think the difference is now, Blake and I had written this in my notes earlier this week, there's so much money because of TV 
that teams can just buy out if they instantly start to feel like something is a mistake it's not like the old days where you're like well we got to give it a couple more years before we can get this off the books there's so much money now because of tv for the big big schools it's like yeah it's not working let's just buy, go get 12 million out of petty cash and let's move on <laughs> you know it's funny a couple weeks ago uh, i was talking with our columnist uh, in knoxville at the knoxville news signal john adams and, and john was saying well, can Florida really fire Dan Mullen? Doesn't he have a huge buyout? And I said, no, it's not that. Big. It's not that big. It's twelve million. And then we both kind of laughed, like, at twelve million, it's not that big anymore. Like a couple of years ago, John's point would have been accurate. Like, yeah, you can't fire Dan Mullen and pay him a twelve million dollar buyout now. Now I'm sitting there saying, like, yeah, it's not that big of a buyout. It's twelve million. Of course, this is on the heels of Auburn paying Gus Malzahn $21.5 million last year to fire a guy who'd had eight straight winning seasons at Auburn, never had a losing season at Auburn. They paid him over $21 million to go away. So after seeing that, yeah, $12 million feels like it's it's nothing. And, and these athletic directors, they act like they're playing with Monopoly money. And yeah. I guess in some, in, in some ways they are. Um, and the money's flowing in, and it only stands to flow in more. Uh, what it really does, though, is it kind of puts a bad taste in your mouth. You know, last year, the pandemic, these athletic departments were issuing pay cuts. Uh, they were issuing, you know, layoffs. They yeah. were cutting sports. Not all athletic departments, but you saw a lot of athletic departments do that. Um, and it's really kind of, you know, they're talking out of two sides of the mouth here. Um, you know, was it hard times last year, or do you have enough money, you know, to be paying these guys $12 million dollars? Um, you know, for a guy who went to three straight New Year's Six Bowl games. Now, I'm not saying Florida was wrong to fire Dan Mullen. Um, I think I think the fan base has soured to the point where it's really, really hard to come back from, from that situation. So I'm not saying they were, they were wrong to move along, but it's like you can't have it both ways here. Um, and, and so it is, it is interesting to see these athletic departments flush this money just, just like it's, uh, like I said, like it's, it's monopoly money. Blake Topmeyer, our guest, covers the SEC for USA Today, hanging out with me. And uh, Alex Apple filling in for the hitman today, Blake. Hey, Blake, thanks for ha- coming on with us. Uh, you know, I'm a TCU guy. I went there. i got to throw a little shade at Texas and Oklahoma since you brought it up. You can get into Darrell K. Royal Stadium for the Texas-Kansas State game for $3 on Vivid Seats right now if you want to go. And I'll tell you what, this is a good segue into my question. I'm looking forward to Oklahoma joining the SEC so they can lose three or four times and we don't have to act like they should be in the playoff every year. But I want to know, do you think Cincinnati should be in the top four right now, and would you put them in if you were the committee? Yeah, I mean, right now I think we could we could have a good debate, I guess, between Cincinnati and Michigan. I think in the end it really doesn't matter, right? It's going to play out on the field between uh, between Michigan and Ohio State if, if Michigan wins wins out there in if Ohio State wins out there in I think I think for Cincinnati I just I don't see a world in which they don't get in at this point uh if if they win out if they lose of course they don't but um you know that Oregon loss was critical for Cincinnati because I've been seeing a world you know ever since the first playoff rankings came out everybody you know Kirk Herbstreit was saying that night no way Alabama could get in with two losses and it's like really really Kirk like if they go out and lose to Georgia by, like, a field goal in the SEC championship, you're telling me they can't get into the playoff? Uh, but now Cincinnati doesn't have to worry about Alabama. Heck, Alabama could get into get into the playoff with two losses, and it doesn't matter. Cincinnati can still get in as long as they win out. Um, you know, with Cincinnati, I think all the gripes with them before 
kind of fell on deaf ears with me. The fact of the matter is um, they played one really good team in, in Notre Dame on the road. And I give them credit for, for winning that game. But I did not feel like, you know, they were really being jobbed by the committee or cheated by the committee in previous rankings. But things took care of themselves on the field. Oregon lost. We saw some of these other teams beat up on each other. And now Cincinnati's in this scenario where all they have to do is, is win out. Um, and, I, and I think they get in the playoff. I guess the, the one thing they have to worry about, I suppose, is a Big 12 team catching them from behind and then two loss Alabama getting in and with a close loss to Georgia. But I don't think so, guys. I, I think if Cincinnati wins out at this point, I think they're safe. I think they're in. Um, and I think that's probably fair. I think at this point, if they went out, they probably should be in. I think the harder question might be who then is fourth. You know, it would have to be a two-loss Alabama, and if you don't choose that, two-loss Michigan? I mean, Notre Dame? I don't think Notre Dame's getting in. They lost Cincinnati. Well, it, it depends on what happens in the Big 12. You know, if, if Oklahoma State runs the table here um, and, and Alabama gets trounced in the SEC championship, then I think your playoff, um, assuming the favorites win, your playoffs Georgia, Ohio State, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State at that point, I think. You'd have one loss Oklahoma State. You know, if they win Bedlam this week, uh, if they then beat Baylor in the Big 12 championship, uh, yeah, I, I think but, I think it would be Oklahoma State at that point. And, I mean, I, I, I went to a Big 12 school, so I don't hate this conference, but I think the Big 12 – I look at it right now as the Big 12 and Pac-12 can have a seat, right? I mean, I, I've not seen any evidence that those teams are ready to compete with the top four. I don't know that Cincinnati is – but they beat the one good team on their schedule, and if they go undefeated and you don't let them in, then why, why even act like we, they even could get in? We just tell them you can. Right? I mean, well, and, and the Big 12 is a cluster. Think, think, the Big 12 is a cluster. Baylor just got whooped by TCU, who's terrible. But what I'm saying is I think Cincinnati's in regardless. I think, you know, we're, the, the teams that if they win out, they're in, are Georgia, uh, Ohio State, or Michigan, whichever one of those two wins out, and Cincinnati. I think those three are in. And then we're, we're left looking at that number four spot. If, if Bama gets trounced by Georgia, they're not putting Bama in. So you need a fourth. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you're, you're debating between the Big 12 or Notre Dame. And are, and are, are they really going to put Notre Dame in ahead of the Big 12 champion I mean, when Notre that, Dame gets to – Hey, not to interrupt you. I think at that point, let's just have Georgia and Ohio State play for the national championship and we can all save our, <laughs> our money and our time. Yeah. Uh, in many ways, guys, maybe the BCS – had it right. Um, I, think, I think the playoff era is, is more entertaining, and it only stands to get more it entertaining, more entertaining. Uh, when it goes to 12 teams, uh, presuming that that happens. But, uh, yeah, in many ways, when the BCS era was here, we didn't like that computers voted, or, or a lot of fans didn't like that computers you know, were so involved. But there are many years where we can look back on it with a straight face and say that the BCS didn't get it right. I mean, mo- most times, the BCS in the end, they got it right. Blake Topmeyer, our guest covering the SEC for USA Today. So I want to ask you about the Florida and the LSU jobs, but I want to frame it this way involving Billy Napier. Everybody remembers what it was like to be in high school and like a new girl would come to your school and she would walk through the lunchroom and maybe you think, my gosh, should I ask her out or not? And you're just not sure. But then as soon as someone else asks her out, then you then you think, oh my gosh, this is the greatest girl in the world. I should have asked her. What was I think? Oh my gosh. Is LSU going to new girl in school or get new girl in schooled by Florida with Billy Napier? Yeah, I think LSU's problem when it comes to Billy Napier is um, perhaps what you're alluding to there. I think they, they waited too long 
Um, they had him on the back burner, you know, as, as a back burner candidate. From the outside looking in, that's what it seems. Um, and, and now is Florida going to swoop in, um, you know, and, and steal Billy Napier out from under their nose? You know, it is a tough situation with Billy Napier when it comes to LSU because in some ways you would think that LSU should have more reason than anybody to hire Billy Napier. Like, he's, he's doing a fantastic job an hour away from their campus. Like, if anybody should know about what the job that Billy Napier's done in four seasons at Louisiana, it's LSU. However, you know, LSU thinks it has a superiority over the, over UL, which it does. I mean, it's, it's a big, bad SEC school, right? And so I think uh, there, there's a, probably at least a portion um, of the decision makers, the power brokers involved there at LSU that says, like, are we gonna? Are we really gonna hire the the guy from the little old school down the road there in Lafayette? They'll refuse to call it Louis, University of Louisiana, which is what, uh, which is what those folks want to be called. Um, they, you know, they don't even want to call them UL. They, they stick the Lafayette on there. So they're really gonna swallow their pride and, and say, yeah, actually, the best coach is, is the one an hour down the road. I, I think that's, you know, that's an interesting scenario there with with uh, with LSU. And not only that, you have someone in Scott Woodward who's used to hitting home runs. With, with his hires, you know, he, he's hired Chris Peterson at Washington. He's hired Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. He just hired Kim Mulkey um, in, in women's basketball away from Baylor. This is a guy that's that's used to cranking grand slams. Um, and I think Billy Napier actually is, is ready to make the jump to the SEC. I mean, it's, these things are always unpredictable, right? There's no guarantees in this. Uh, but I really like Billy Napier as, as a candidate for SEC jobs. However, if you've hired Chris Peterson – Jimbo Fisher and Kim Mulkey in your past. Um, you know, do you want to hire a coach from the Which Sun of these doesn't belong? Know, right? Yeah, exactly. It, it takes some swallowing of the pride a little bit um, to say, "Yeah, last time I hired Jimbo Fisher. Um, this time I'm going to hire a guy for the Sun Belt." Yeah, but if that rascal does go to Florida, and ten years from now is still there, they got new girl in school because Florida was the first to ask him out, and not LSU. And then they get to watch those two, you know go to college and then get married with each other and well and and, and I'll, I, Mickey and I were talking about this I, I as a TCU guy I know that TCU tried to make the offer and the LSU job was out there before TCU so if you're kind of playing you know uh, looking ahead or trying to connect these dots Napier didn't take the the TCU job but expressed keen interest until what changed the Florida job came open I I my money's on him going to Florida. But you're going to cover the Egg Bowl this weekend, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm excited to watch that as much as I have been in years. And I don't really want to know what you think of the game, but I want to know how many more Leach-Kiffin matchups you think we'll get. Oh, boy. I, I wrote about that this week because as, as long as those guys are on the sidelines, I mean, that, that really elevates what I think is a, is a really good rivalry anyway. But it's, it's a rivalry that's so important to the state of Mississippi. But on the national stage, um, you know, the Egg Bowl doesn't move the needle as much as it probably should. But as long as Kiffin and Leach are there, it, it really, you know, elevates this, this rivalry up a couple runs. But, you know, when it comes to Leach, this is a guy that's he's not been a job hopper throughout his career. He stayed at, at Texas, a, at, excuse me, Texas Tech for 11 seasons. Um, and the only reason that that ended had nothing to do with on-the-field on stuff. Uh, you know, off-the-field situations led to, to that tenure ending. And then he was at Washington State for eight years. So this, as when it comes to Leach, I think he he, he has a chance to retire um, at Mississippi State. When it comes to Kiffin, I mean that's 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 the 
thing you get into when you hire Lane Kiffin is he offers Ole Miss a ceiling they wouldn't have had, um, you know, hiring John Q. Coach X. Like, <laughs> he, he gave them a ceiling that I think a lot of other candidates that would have been interested in that job would not have allowed them to reach. But the flip side of that is, as long as Lane Kiffin's there, there's always going to be conversation of, well, how long is he going to be there? Because, uh, you know, if you look at Lane Kiffin's track record, uh, at least as a head coach, the longest tenure he ever had was at USC, and that only lasted three and a half years, and, and it was the only head coaching job uh, in college, at least, that he was fired from. Uh, you know, one year at Tennessee, three years at FAU, and now already in year two at, at Ole Miss, it's like, uh, much like Billy Napier, us folks in the media have Lane Kiffin taking about three different jobs. Um, so I don't know. You know, I, I don't I, I don't have the crystal ball when it comes to Lane Kiffin. I, I would think, um, you know, if, if Florida comes calling, um, even if, Miami, if Miami opens and Miami comes calling, I would think Lane Kiffin would, uh, would certainly listen, would certainly be interested. Um, you know, LSU, you would think at this point, uh, if LSU was interested in Lane Kiffin, we would have heard, you know, a little bit more rumblings there. It doesn't seem like, like LSU, unless they've been working behind a smoke screen, is, is really making a strong run at Lane Kiffin. Um, but, you know, that's the thing with Lane, too. At this point, anybody questioning Lane's coaching acumen is in denial. But when you're an athletic director, um, you do have to be a certain type of AD, um, <laughs> you know, to be willing to pull the trigger on, on hiring Lane Kiffin. I think he – I think he'd be a great hire for Florida, frankly. I, I really do. Um, but there's a lot of athletic directors out there that are going to have pause, uh, right or wrong, uh, before before they feel comfortable hiring Lane Kiffin. Blake, fantastic stuff, man. Uh, have fun at the Egg Bowl. I, I, I love watching football on Thanksgiving. I'm more excited about the Egg Bowl, certainly, than anything the NFL is throwing at us. I know you're going to enjoy that game. People need to follow you at btopmeyer. Uh, and then anywhere they consume the USA today for SEC coverage. Thank you, sir. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, absolutely. You guys too. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Blake. Blake Enjoy your turkey. All right, when we come back, it's time for the Thanksgiving edition of Call Your Shot. You want to jump in this mix, you can. Mark Spain Real Estate Hotline open 615-737-1045. We're going to do that. Also, some pretty darn cool news for Eddie George. We'll tell you about that next. Blaine and Mickey. Blaine and Mickey, Wednesday before Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Eve. Hopefully you uh, are out there and you're having a good time and you're warm and you're safe and you got some plans to be around some people that you love and who love you. I hope that's the case and I hope you travel safe and that you have a fantastic Thanksgiving. I can say this on the part of Lucas and Blaine Bishop. We are very, very thankful uh, that we get to spend part of our afternoon with you uh, five days a week. That's a big deal and your participation in the show and you guys listen to the show. Just know that it means a heck of a lot to us. You guys all mean so much to us. Thank you so much. Certainly thank for Alex Apple stepping in for three days this week for Blaine. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Hope Blaine enjoyed his time off. Uh, Ball State won last night. I actually need to text him. They are bowl eligible. That's was his... he at the game? I think he was. I'm not sure. No, Muncie, Indiana. His son is uh, now at Ball State. Chase is a fantastic young man and loved him and they're just a great bunch of people, and so uh, it's a cool thing. So they'll get to experience a bowl game, and that's a it's a neat thing. They uh, played for the conference championship last year, so um, 
Um, still good to uh, make a bowl game this year. So congratulations to Ball State. They get to uh, have that opportunity. So congrats to Blaine and his son and their family. We call our shot on Friday, but since there is no Friday edition, we will uh, call our shot today. But I did want to do this. The class of 2022 modern era player semifinalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame is out. Eddie George is on that list. Eddie George uh, on the list. There's a bunch uh, Eric Allen and Jared Allen and, uh, and Ricky Waters and Reggie Wayne and Patrick Willis and Darren. I, I mean, it, it, the late, great Sam Mills. It's always just fantastic to read these names because if you love football, you have memories and you can think of great plays made by all these men and, and, and just the amazing things that they've done. So for Titans fans, it is so cool to see Eddie George on that list. So I'm sure Eddie's busy trying to coach up his Tigers right now. But, uh, Eddie, if you're if you're listening or even if you're not, congratulations. That is such a big deal. A great honor just to be on it. Just to be on the semifinalist list, to get that far along. Uh, and it was so cool to see he and Steve be honored by the Titans and go in the ring of honor. And then this year, Floyd and, and, and Jeff Fisher, uh, Amy Adams-Strunk, as Coach Mack has said so many times so eloquently, she continues to hit all the right notes for this team and this franchise. So this is another cool honor for Eddie. And we can only hope that that he continues uh, through this process because uh, we saw him carry the ball here many times and have a fantastic career for some great Tennessee Titans teams. And the Houston Oilers before that and the Tennessee Oilers was a Heisman Trophy winner and a fantastic player. So uh, congratulations to Eddie George. All right. Time to call our shot. I see Lucas, is he's locked and loaded. He's in his shot delivering position uh we do this every week courtesy of our friends at chattanooga whiskey this segment brought to you by chattanooga whiskey available at your favorite retail store drink chattanooga whiskey enjoy responsibly maybe you'll mm. enjoy some over this it long is holiday. excellent by the way okay. free shout out okay. Chattanooga okay. whiskey. absolutely <laughs> a fan here let's go lucas panzica time to call your shot my shot is that the titans break an nfl record on sunday 82 players have suited up for the Titans in 2021. Okay. Too shy, right? Too shy 84, of tying yeah. the NFL record. Yes, sir. My shot is that the Titans have three new faces in the mix, whether it's Screen or Golden Tate or Austin Mack or the defensive lineman that they signed. One of the 13 transactions that they made yesterday. Uh, I think the Titans break that record and somehow do it while maintaining the number one seed in the AFC. So three new guys will play for the Titans. You heard it here first. That is the shot called by our own Lucas Panzica here on Thanksgiving Eve. Alex Apple, what say you? You know, I was really going back and forth. Do I really think, you know, do I feel strongly enough the Titans will win to call that shot? Here's what I feel strongly about. And I know that as a competitor, it bothered him last week after his showing, throwing all those interceptions. I think Ryan Tannehill is going to go up there and play well. Whatever cast of characters he's got out there, it's going to really help if he has A.J. Brown probably give this a lot better chance of coming through. He did not practice today. But he, he didn't practice today, but it's only Wednesday. And, you know, quite frankly, if he didn't, he can not practice the rest of the season if he can play on Sundays, you know. <laughs> I, I think he's going to go up there. I'm going to, my shot is that Ryan Tannehill is going to count for two scores and not turn the ball over and give the Titans a chance. I mean, two scores is 14 points, you presume, against the defense. It's only averaging 16 points a game. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So, yeah, um, uh, you know, I, I just think that Ryan, you're going to get a good version of Ryan Tannehill on Sunday. So I'm going to go two touchdowns, no interceptions. And that gives the Titans a chance. To be in the game. I, I really think the defense didn't get enough talk this week for, for playing pretty well. They didn't create any turnovers or big plays. 
They're going to have to probably do that against New England to win. I'm going to be up there. I can't wait. Stay in Rhode Island. You're going up there. Go to Rhode Island. Get yourself some oysters. We'll see. This would be so Vrabel to win. Frigid Providence. It would be so Mike Vrabel. I'm going to do this. I'm a big Thanksgiving Day guy. Uh, Big Thanksgiving guy. I love all things about Thanksgiving. I especially love that it's a holiday that's literally built around football and food and family. Three things that I value, uh, starting with family, of course, the most. And I think the Lions are going to win the Turkey Super Bowl. I think the Lions will get off the schneid this week against, what, Andy Dalton. Right. They are still playing with the motion. They tied Pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago. I think the Lions will win on Thanksgiving. Call me crazy. That's a good shot to call. That's a lot more bold than than what Lucas and I were putting out there. Like, I hope everyone has a wonderful Thanksgiving. It's been a privilege to be on um, this week. And I'll tell you what always stands out in my mind when I think about Thanksgiving. It's an old Mother Teresa quote. This is my advice for everybody. You want to change the world? Go home and love your family. Tell them you're thankful for them. Give them a hug. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. I cannot say anything more eloquent than that other than how we end every show. Happy Thanksgiving. And as always, peace. peace.